you have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 19. We will study the entire chapter. Let's uh, ask the Lord once again to bless the preaching of His Word. And let's ask Him to teach us through Jeremiah 19. Father, we come before You and if people in this church have read Jeremiah 19 prior to coming, which many do, we see that it is a very sober chapter. Father, we pray that we would not walk away here in fear, but walk out of this room knowing that the wrath of God was kindled and satisfied on Calvary. And Father, at the same time, we and our philosophy of church and my conviction are not permitted to skip over parts of Scripture that are more difficult than others. So Father, we know that the Word does what it's intended to do. So Father, we pray that we would learn from You. We pray, Father, that Your Word would change us and convict us, make us more like Your Son, and make us love Your Son more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah chapter 19, hear now the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priest and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocents and have built the high places of Baal, to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come to my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword because of their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life, I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city of horror a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth because there will be no place else to bury. Thus will I do it in this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants making this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the host of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, 
I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I've pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. And thus since the reading, the very word of God. Well, if you travel up I-95 and make it to North Carolina, you go halfway through North Carolina and go west, you'll eventually run into a city called Raleigh. There in Raleigh is a, a school, at least in that area, in Chapel Hill, called University of North Carolina. And the world has a favorite theologian that is the head of the religious department there at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, named Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman, in 2020, wrote a book called Heaven and Hell, A History of the Afterlife. What's interesting about the world's favorite theologian is Bart Ehrman is, is an atheist. As a matter of fact, NPR just recently in 2020 when he wrote this book because people were dying during COVID, he thought he should write something about heaven and hell considering he's a Bible scholar and at the same time an atheist. NPR, Terry Gross and his Fresh Air podcast because you need fresh and new ideas to keep society going asked him, is it fair to say that you're an atheist now? And Bart Ehrman, that is fair to say, starts laughing. Because that's funny. And he says, I actually consider myself an atheist and an agnostic because I know, you know, I don't really know if there's a superior being in the universe, but I don't believe there is. So in terms of what I know, I'm an agnostic. But in terms of what I believe, I'm an atheist. And he goes on to ask his, his theology of hell. He says, you got another book coming about Armageddon. Could you teach us about this book of Revelation in hell? And he says, you know, a lot of people try to read Revelation as indicating that people who are opposed to God will be cast into a lake of fire. Well, they'll be floating in fire for eternity. That's not the message of the book of Revelation. I will deal with this in my book where I try to show that the book of Revelation does not describe eternal torment for sinners in the lake of fire. There are several beings that go to this lake of fire, but they're not human beings. They are the Antichrist, the beast and the devil, and the supernatural forces that are tormented forever. Isn't it interesting that the world's favorite theologian is an atheist, and he's going to tell us what the Bible says about heaven and hell? That's the sad reality. The world loves Bart Ehrman because not only does Bart Ehrman not believe in heaven and hell, not only is he an atheist, but he also doesn't believe there's sin. And you can do anything you want to do. He also believes that there's no accountability. And when you take your last breath, you'll either be annihilated or possibly go to another place. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. But you have no accountability. God doesn't care what you do. This is his thought process, and that's why the world champions this man as their theologian. Jeremiah is going to preach a sermon at a trash heap that Jesus Christ and many sermons will pick up on. And this sermon isn't a fun sermon to preach. If, if you've got a sermon that you want to preach one day, if this is the sermon you want to go to, please quit the ministry. Every preacher has a sermon, uh, as Mark Borger likes to say, in your hip pocket, ready to go at all times. You may be asked to preach at a different church, as many of us in this congregation are asked to preach at different churches. This is not one that I'll preach again, unless this is the topic and I probably won't ever preach this again. I'm only preaching it because we believe that we go verse by verse, line upon line, and through the entire book of Jeremiah. I believe it's the Word of God, and I believe God wants me to preach it this evening, and 
because he wants me to preach it. I'll preach it, but it's, but it's not fun. It wasn't even fun going over my notes. But he preaches this sermon at a trash heap. And it's important to understand. And if you're taking notes, we have four points. The first thing is we're going to see Jeremiah's field trip to the trash heap. The second thing we'll see is the reason behind this field trip to the trash heap. The third thing we'll see is this object lesson at the trash heap. And the fourth thing we'll see is Jeremiah brings the trash heap to the temple. So Jeremiah's field trip to this trash heap, the reason for this field trip, the object lesson, and Jeremiah bringing the trash heap to the temple. As we look at the first point of the sermon, Jeremiah's field trip to the trash heap, look at verse 1 in chapter 19. Thus says the Lord, Go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priest. Here we see what's happening before he preaches this sermon. He's buying this potter's earthenware flask, basically a, a clay jar. We've seen in chapter 18, he's already spoken about the potter of the clay. God says, now go buy this earthenware flask, this clay flask. I want you to bring this flask, and I want you to bring some very important people with you. I want you to bring the elders of the people and elder of the priests. These were the movers and shakers. These were the influencers of the day, the political savvy of the day who made the decisions, and just not a normal priest. I want you to bring the lead priest, the ones that make the decisions, the one that every other priest looks up to to give them direction on how to live their life. And he says, you get these people, and in verse 2, you go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words I tell you. Ben Hinnom, Ben is son of the son of Hinnom. At one time, this man named Hinnom owned this, this area. And he says, I want you to go to this area that has turned into a trash heap to preach this sermon. Now, all of us understand trash heaps and landfills. Wednesday's my day for the trash man to come. You may have different days, but we all put our trash in either the recycling bin that comes every other week, or we put it in the, in the major trash bin, and we know that the trash man comes and he picks it up in his truck and he takes it to a landfill. And there at the landfill, there's a big, huge hole. And we think, did we invent this? No. 3000 BC, we see that, that the Cretans and their, and their little island figured out, you know what? There's a lot of trash. We need to start burning this trash and, and making a huge hole. And we put every, the, the dirt on top of it. Then, then it will basically go back into the earth. And if you think about Jerusalem, Jerusalem wanted to be a clean city. You've probably been to some dirty cities that are large third world countries and third world nation. Jerusalem, what we see through mannerisms and customs, books, they kind of prided themselves on being a clean city. I mean, we are the city of David, aren't we? They had this trash heap. They had laws and rules because they didn't want people just throwing their trash anywhere. And when you think about trash in these days, you think about going to the market, you may buy fish. Well, your fish have guts in them. Someone has to clean those guts and take them somewhere. They have scales. You have to take the scales off the fish. You have to put them somewhere. If you buy a lamb, sometimes you might can't afford just to buy a whole a lamb already cut. So you may have to take it home and butcher this. And you have to put all the guts somewhere. When you're done eating, you have to put your bones there. So you're, you're in this pail and you're basically putting all this trash in this pail, in this pail. Your, your clay pots break pretty 
simply and easy. So you're always making new clay pots or going to the potter's house to get another one. So you're putting all the clay in there that's, that's left over. You got your olive pits in there. You got these broken pieces of pottery. You have all this stuff in this big pail. And you're probably sending your kids out, hey, go out there to the east gate, walk out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom and drop that trash off. And as you know at that trash heap, it was constantly a fire going so they could burn this. On and on and on. Not only was there a fire at this trash heap, but because of all the bones and and all the guts and all the scales, it seemed that the worms were always eating. They never stopped. They were always there. And if you read your New Testament, you understand why Jesus picks up this picture in Jeremiah 19, where Jesus Christ says the fire will never be quenched and the worm never dies. Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom in, in Greek is Gehenna. That's where we get the word hell from. This is not a sermon that people are lined up to preach and it's surely not a sermon people are lined up to hear. And to be honest, there's only one prophet, one prophet in the entire Bible that speaks of the valley of Ben-Hinnom or the valley of Gehenna more than Jeremiah. There's only one prophet that speaks about hell more than Jeremiah. And that prophet is Jesus. And the reason Jesus spoke about it so often is because he didn't want people to go. It's one of the reasons Jeremiah preaches this sermon where he's preaching it. He doesn't want people to go. And people don't have to go. And we need to understand, yes, Deuteronomy 28, 63, that it pleases God to do everything that he does just to prosper you and to destroy you. But twice in Ezekiel it says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. See, I grew up in the 80s. And it was appropriate to spank your children in the 80s. I don't know what they do nowadays, but that wasn't even debate in the 80s. Other people may spank you, so you had to be careful in church. Parents didn't spank your kids because they liked to. They did it because you needed it. The same way if a man shoots up building and shoots up people, a judge doesn't want to put people to death, but it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do because he has to sentence a man to death. He's not going home sleeping at night going, man, I had so much joy in doing that. No, that's a human being creating the image of God. But justice demands this man's punishment. God doesn't take pleasure in judging. God doesn't take pleasure in the sense he gets joy in doing this. He takes no pleasure in it. He takes Joy in his justice. But at the heart of God, he takes no pleasure in this. He will do it though. And this is the reason the stakes are high. The stakes are high because God says, I will do this. And we hear a sermon from the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He's told to go to this valley that Jesus preaches about so much and he's to proclaim some things. Look at verse 3. Jeremiah is supposed to proclaim this. Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, O you important people who are the mover and shakers and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. You know, this is interesting to think about. Why did, why did they even listen to Jeremiah? 
We're going to see at the end of chapter 18 and in chapter 20, they really didn't like him. They punished him. They put him in stocks. They tried to kill him. Why would they even listen to Jeremiah? Have you thought about that, reading through Jeremiah? They want to kill him, but it seems they can't stop listening to him. I'll tell you why. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was from God. The same thing they did to Jesus. They knew he was the Messiah. That's why they killed him. The scribes and the Pharisees knew that this isn't the way he, they wanted their kingdom ushered in. They wanted a different way. They killed him because he was the prophet, because he was the Messiah. They knew. Not only do I believe that, Matthew Henry believes it. There's parables that speak of it. They knew. They knew Jeremiah was the prophet of God. They didn't like what he has to say. It's the real reason they hate you. You know those guys that wear tinfoil hats that we think are really odd? And like, dude, that dude's weird. We don't really take him and listen to him at all, do we? We don't even give him any credence. But when you say Jesus Christ is the only way, and there's a real heaven and hell, the world takes you seriously, don't they? You know why? Because they know it's true. That's why. They know it's true. It's written on their hearts, and deep down inside, they know everything you say is right and just, and they yell and scream at you. They knew what Jeremiah was saying was true. That's why they hated him. And he's bringing up, he says, what you're going to hear is going to make your ears tingle. This means you're going to remember it. My dad was on the phone with me when the planes flew into the World Trade Centers. He called and woke me up. And he says, you need to watch this. He says, I remember when JFK was killed. And someone told me, my teacher told me, you'll never forget. You'll never forget this day where you are. And he says, you'll never forget this. Your ears will tingle. You'll know exactly where you are when you heard this and saw this. What we're seeing here in the Valley of Hinnom and what judgment will take place in Jerusalem when people hear about it and read about it in the future, they'll never forget it. Their ears will tingle as if it, wow, I cannot believe this actually happened. This historical event happened. And when you look at the big picture of this, the think, is God really preaching from the valley of Ben-Hinnom? Is he really preaching from that valley? Is God really going to speak from hell? Is God really there in hell to even speak? There's this thought that hell is the absence of God. But when you look at Scripture overall, it's the absence of His love, mercy, and kindness. God, God speaks from hell. You know, much more frightening than fire and brimstone is the wrath of God. That's what we should be, be thinking about. Not, not of flames. And he used that as an example, and I completely understand the example. It's a horrible thing to think about. A trash heap constantly burning and worms never dying. But the wrath of God is far more scary than that. And when you understand how scary the wrath of God is, it gives you joy because that's exactly what was satisfied on Calvary was the wrath of God. The very wrath of God was satisfied on Calvary. And that's the only reason I can preach this message. 
Because I know the end of the story. I know that the wrath of God was satisfied. Completely satisfied. To the point as if if Jesus did die for the whole world, then the whole world would have been saved. That's how much satisfaction I believe in Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more, you can see Pastor David as he mentioned that through his bobbing study on Wednesday. Oh, the wrath of God was satisfied. Ears will tingle. People will hear about this forever. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon. What's the reason behind this field trip in the first place? Why was Jeremiah told to take these kings of the cities, the movers and the shakers, and go there in the first place and preach this sermon from the trash heap where it's constantly burning, where the worms never die. You can get the smells. You get the sense of what he's preaching there. You have to ask yourself, does the punishment really fit the crime? God completely destroying this city, turning it upside down. Does the punishment fit the crime? I want you to understand that God is holy. He's thrice holy. He's holy, holy, holy. We sang about God's holiness last week at Midway Congregational Church. We sing about His holiness. We know that He's holy. Why? Because if He's not holy, He's not God. He's holy. He's set apart. He's different. In Him is perfection. He is perfection. And in Exodus 20, He said, You shall not bow down or serve other gods, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. Does the punishment fit the crime? Look at verse 4. Because the people have forsaken me and profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. They're taking God's glory, what is rightfully His, and they're giving it to other gods. See, God's a jealous God. J.I. Packer in Knowing God, which most of you have read, wrote, It is His holiness. Jealousy is God's holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally right and precious. It is a praiseworthy zeal on His part to preserve something supremely precious. It would be sinful for God not to be jealous. He would be not God. He is holy. And he has a passion for his holiness and a passion for his glory. Isaiah will say, I am the Lord your God and I will not share my glory with another. He doesn't share his glory. He doesn't share it with anyone. And oftentimes we try to take some of his glory just for ourselves, don't we? We want just a little bit. Judah is taking his glory and sharing it with other false gods. This is terrible. This is, they have forsaken God and the, the fathers, they didn't learn this from their fathers. Nor They're doing it because the world around them is worshiping false gods. And what do they do? I just want to be like the world. I just want to be like them. It gets worse. Look at the end of verse 4. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as a burnt offering to Baal, which I did not command, nor did it ever come to my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. 
We went over this once again in Jeremiah 7. But the word topheth that you're going to see continually all the way to the end of this chapter, the etymology of that word is very important. At the root, the primitive root of the word topheth is drum. When you see topheth, that's what the Valley of Hinnom was called, topheth. Why was it called topheth? Because the etymology of it is drum. Because for them to worship a false god and make sacrifices with their babies, they would create this huge idol. And the idol would have basically a massive flame of fire at his feet. And the idol would have his hands up. And the, and the women would go and place their sons in the hands of Baal or Molech, and the baby would roll into the fire. And they had to have the drums to drown out the sound of the children screaming. Topheth is an important word. because It means the etymology of his drum. Judah, the covenantal people of God, were sacrificing their baby. Something that God says, it didn't even come in my mind. How dare you think that this could honor anyone in any such a way. God is a God who loves children. We see that in the life of Jesus, do we not? Suffer not the little children to come unto me. It's almost as if God says, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. He, he, he takes the gloves off when he's talking about kids. They were worshiping false gods in this way. Make no mistake, we have been told, not to get political, but I'm going to. If God judges our nation, will you be shocked? I hope not. No matter what you do, you watch any YouTube video, you watch any, anything on TV, you get anything in the mail, you're going to see something. Make no mistake, abortion is on the ballot. You hear that all the time now. It should make us fall on our knees and beg for mercy. Your preacher, I know some of you will be, it's time for your clever winsomeness to be over. It's an abomination. We need to call it what it is. It's murder, and God will judge our nation for it. And we need to ask God to have mercy. We need to ask God to have mercy. Judah was doing this. We see it in our nation. So the punishment does fit the crime. Look at verse 7. And in this place, I will make void the plans or I'll ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. We thought we were going to be great again. Oh no. It's going to be the exact opposite. You won't be great. And will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city of horror a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. This is a horrifying scene. If your stomach is turning upside down, it's supposed to be. When Babylon came, surrounded Jerusalem. They did not allow food in or at all. 
They said they'll eventually give up. They'll starve to death. No water, no food. I don't know if you've ever been to Northern California. Many of you know I live there. We used to go up Highway 80. We'd go skiing or snowboarding at Sierra Tahoe, and we always had to go through the Donner Pass. A man named Michael Wallace wrote about the, the Donner Party in a book called The Best Land Under Heaven. That's the story in the 1800s, during the early 1800s, and during Manifest Destiny, they thought they needed to go west. They got into a large snowstorm, were starving to death, and eventually started eating one another. And some of the reports that he received from some of the people there, these historical reports he was writing down, and it says they, they were so hungry they became delusional. Because I hear people all the time, I'm one of those people, ah, I'll never do that, I'll just starve to death before I eat someone. <laughs> he says these people became delusional. They didn't have any food. And because they were delusional, they didn't think straight. This is what took place in Jerusalem. People became delusional. They lost their faculties. They lost their discernment. And the next thing you know, they were fulfilling the very thing that God said was going to happen. It was complete, disturbing, and it was destruction. Third thing we see is the object lesson in Jeremiah's field trip. Something that we see a lot about is this, this, this earthenware flask. A lot of people make a big deal about the name of the flask, the babuk. Babuk, basically, is the, I think it's the automatopoeia. The, it sounds like the sound it's making when the water's coming out. I don't know if it helps the sermon or not, but it's pretty interesting. People seem to make a big deal about it. But he takes this, this earthenware Flask and, and the Jews would have been very familiar with this type of water jar. It had a you know, slender neck. Um, you bought it, you drank out of it. Um, but one of the things I want to draw attention to is, if you remember chapter 18, this flask was quite different than the clay that was on the potter's will. See, the clay on the potter's will was still wet, moldable, and if he didn't like the way it looked, he would just start all over and make something that he wanted to make. It was still moldable. But see, this flask that Jeremiah was carrying was a hardened flask. There was no going back. There was no remolding it. It was finished. It was hardened beyond repair. And you get this imagery in this sermon that, that Judah's beyond repair. They're turned over. We see this in Romans 1. God turns people over. And once He turns them over, they're at the point of no return. Now, we don't know when God turns people over. This is the danger of thinking you know the mind of God. Seeing someone and you go, oh, God has turned them over. You don't know that. They could be a vessel of honor just waiting for the redemption of God waiting for the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. They could be one, the elect of God, written on the, the, the tablets of the foundation before the, before the world was created, who the Lamb of God was slain. You don't know. So you reform people, you don't know. That's the reformed faith, if you want to be honest. We don't know. That's why we preach the gospel to all. 
If you don't believe that, you're not reformed. You're something other than I read. We believe the gospel can change people. We know God turns people over, but we don't know when. But that doesn't negate the truth that this is a warning. God may turn people over. That's the reason we don't want hardened hearts. This is the reason Jeremiah continues to preach. Don't have a hardened heart. We want our hearts moldable. We want the Spirit to work in our hearts. We don't want to reject the Holy Spirit because you start rejecting the Holy Spirit, it gets easier and easier every time you reject Him. Repentance is never guaranteed. We see that through the Brooks book we, we've read and we studied during COVID. Two years ago, we went through Thomas Brooks and his book and uh, even Mortification of Sin. Both Puritans teach God doesn't have to give you repentance. So if He does grant you repentance, take it while He offers it to you. But look at verse 10. They were past the point of no return. Judah was gone. Verse 10, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So will I break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. He's preaching to them. He takes this flask and he breaks it with all the other trash laying around there. And he says, this is going to be you. Your hardened hearts. We continue to read, men shall bury in Topheth because there will be no place else to bury. You don't want to be buried in a trash heap, but there was nowhere else to go. Thus will I do to this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth. Basically, your clean city is going to be destroyed. It's going to look like a trash heap. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah and all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to the host, to all the hosts of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. He says, see this trash heap? That's what your city is going to become. And if you read the accounts of history, we see this is exactly what's happened. It was completely destroyed. Rubbish. That's what this city became. Which brings us to the fourth point of this sermon, which is not what you would think. As a matter of fact, there's a reason I believe this, and you can kind of see it in the text here. This is Beirut writing this, I believe. Can't prove it, but as you know, Jeremiah and Beirut uh, wrote. He was the uh, minuenius for uh, Jeremiah. He, he, he wrote, he was the secretary. And I think Baruch wrote this. I believe it's true because it's in the Scripture. God, God inspired it. But Jeremiah is going to do something that I didn't, I didn't think he would do. This, this seems odd. He takes the elders of the city to this trash heap. He smashes the jar and says, you're all going to be destroyed. They can smell the smell. They can see the fire. They can see the worms. But now he takes the trash heap to the temple. Look at verse 14. Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to the people, the same message he preached to them in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, now he's going to preach to them in the temple. And you have to ask yourself the question, why on earth 
Would he preach this at the temple? Well, we know why. You want even a further explanation? You can listen to this morning's sermon. It'll be online here by tomorrow. To John 6 with one of the twelve. Sobering to think about. But this message was to be preached in the temple. Those who thought that what? They, they were clean. They're not like what? Everybody else in the trash heap. See, this is the downfall of the church often, isn't it? That the, the hell's for those people. Those people deserve hell, but, but we don't. I mean, those are the people with the needles hanging out of their arms. Those are the people that are, that, are, that, are, that are drunk all the time. Those are the people that are always cheating on their spouses. We, on the other hand, we're clean. We don't need the trashy. We're, they're the dirty, trashy people. We're the clean people. And here comes Jeremiah and says, Oh no, you're going to hear this message also. Everyone deserves the wrath and judgment of God. Verse 15, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all of its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. You can tell it's not as much written there because Baruch probably doesn't write as much as Jeremiah, and that's my opinion. That's the reading and studying Jeremiah. But Jeremiah went and he preaches at the temple once again, as he's done multiple times. He seems to like going to the temple to preach, to warn the people, don't stiffen your neck. Listen to the words of God. Judgment is coming. The trash heap that your elders saw, this city's about to turn into a trash heap. See, the people had forgotten Psalm 95.3. If today you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. This is what they did in the wilderness. The children of Israel did this in the wilderness and they all perished. They ate manna. They saw miracles. They saw the plagues. They saw everyone else being destroyed, but they were protected. They saw the death angel pass over their house. They saw everything. They saw the pillar of fire and the, and the cloud. They, they saw everything. But you know what? They perished in the wilderness. You know why? Because they hardened their heart. It was never about the miracles. It was always about their heart. They quit believing. And here we see Judah once again, their hardened heart, not listening. See, they had forgotten that their city was going to be smashed. And the reality is, is I often think, how would Spurgeon preach a sermon like? I'll tell you what Spurgeon would say. I can't prove it, but I've read enough of Spurgeon to know what he'd say. He would say, see that, see that flask of earthenware? You know, it's smashed in the ground. Jesus was smashed on Calvary. That's the only way to have our hearts mended. It's because that anger of God that smashed the sins of humanity was poured out upon Christ. And you and I no longer have to face the wrath of God because Christ speaks even through that earthenware flask. And as we close, much different than Bart Ehrman was a man named Tim Shore. Um, he, he's still living today. He's in his 60s, and he writes for the Gospel Coalition. And just this week, um, he found out that he has stage 4 cancer terminal. 
And he wrote this article, Am I Going Through Hell? I encourage you all to read it. And he writes, Compared to hell, the worst moments on earth, including my stage 4 cancer, apparently terminal, are but fleeting sorrows. He says, Even the, the worst thing that happens on this earth doesn't even compare to how bad hell is, so I'm not going through hell. A man with stage 4 cancer can say that and get away with it. But we all know it's true. Hell's not a laughing matter. I beg you not to laugh at it. As in this article, Mr. Shoray wrote, I beg you not to joke and mock about it. It's not a laughing matter. Satan would love you to laugh about it and mock it. It's a real place. I don't care how Berman says, I don't care what he says, he's wrong. And if he doesn't repent, that's where he'll end up. In the same way, if all of us don't repent, this is where we'll end up. But praise the Lord for grace and praise the Lord that Christ suffered so we don't have to. Praise the Lord that He, as the larger catechism would teach us, He suffered all the horrors of hell on Calvary so we too don't have to. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the Word. Father, we come before You and we are thankful for how You love us. We are thankful that we don't have to go. And Father, if there's someone that doesn't know You today, we know that unless the Spirit regenerates their heart, they will have a heart and heart. So Father, we pray that you awaken their soul. For we know if their souls are awakened that they will reach for you and love you and call upon you. So we pray that you do your work. We pray, Father, that if someone can't sleep at night because they're thinking about hell, Father, may they turn to Christ and sleep. May they give their souls to you knowing, Father, that you are a good God and you sent your Son on Calvary, so we don't have to fear. So Father, if someone struggles with that, please give them the desire and the, and, and the intestinal fortitude to even speak with anyone here. So many godly men and women who are here would cry with them and help them see the joys of Calvary so we can sleep at night. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.